the next right thing. Those words can be so freeing. When we find ourselves up against a wall in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, feeling helpless and wondering, what can I do? What should I do? God simply nudges us saying, just do the next right thing. Last week, Pastor Terry talked to us about the story of men who went to such great lengths to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, that they would climb to the roof of the overcrowded house that Jesus was speaking in, dig their way through the roof and lower him down on a stretcher to the feet of Jesus. Each step of the way, they just did the next right thing. And Jesus responded with just one command, get up and walk. Because of the faith of your friends, your sins are forgiven, you're healed. Each step of the way, walking in faith, these friends just did the next right thing, no matter what obstacle they faced, and they were rewarded. But the question is, how did they know what the next right thing was? How do we know that what we think is the next right thing to do is actually what God really wants us to do? Well, today we're going deep into the hidden recesses of the Old Testament to pull out two characters who do not get a lot of airplay. Even better, two women with actual names. Have you ever noticed how often women in the Bible go completely unnamed? Their stories nonetheless significant, but their named identities are often obscured and they're identified merely by their gender, two women, by male writers who were surely heavily influenced by their time and place, their context. So let's shed some light on these two women today. Shipra and Pua. Shipra and Pua were Hebrew midwives serving in Egypt under the rule of the dictator Pharaoh. Pharaoh was seeking to establish his dominance over the Israelites. He thought by enslaving them, it would eventually kill them off. Slavery would shrink their numbers, but it didn't work. New babies were born. Families kept growing. So next came his attempt at genocide. He went to the midwives and he demanded that they kill all of the male Hebrew babies that they delivered. Ironic, isn't it? That he only saw males as threats, which he would come to regret as it's women, these two women in particular, that become his undoing. I've asked Todd to read our passage today from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter one, verses 15 through 21. The Egyptian king spoke to the two Hebrew midwives named Shafar and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see it, the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you could let her live. Now the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king, king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, Why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? The two midwives said to Pharaoh, because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And the midwives respected God, and God gave them households of their own. What's the first oath of a midwife? It's the same as doctors and nurses, and the basic rule we're asked to live by as Methodists. Do no harm. 
So when Pharaoh comes to them, demanding that they kill the babies they are entrusted to safely deliver to their mothers, can you even imagine what they are experiencing? Their God-given calling, their vocation was to preserve and protect life. Yet here before them stood an evil, powerful man under whose authority they sat with no power. Now, how does one choose to do the next right thing in this unthinkable situation? Do you choose to follow the orders handed down to you and save your own life? Do you choose to save the lives of so many others, but ruin and end your own in the process? There's really not a good choice here, is there? It's not a win-win. It seems like any decision made is all or nothing. What could possibly be the next right thing to do in such dire circumstances. I would love to have been a fly on the wall and witness the conversations that unfolded between Shipra and Pua after Pharaoh's visit. The midwives decide that they must continue to live out their calling to first do no harm. No harm to innocent baby boys and to allow no harm to come upon themselves. So they concoct a lie that is referred to as the Bible's first civil disobedience and nonviolent resistance for the sake of justice. Old Testament scholar and my former professor, Dr. Dennis Olson, describes Shipra and Pua's actions saying, they explained to Pharaoh with their fingers crossed and a wink in their eye, the Hebrew women just give birth too quickly before we can get there. It's the kind of act that civil rights leader John Lewis would call good trouble. That good trouble they caused led to saving the lives of Hebrew children and would lead to saving the life of one special baby boy found in a basket amidst the reeds of a riverbed, Moses, the man who later became the leader of Israel that God used to overthrow Pharaoh. Kind of funny how that works, isn't it? Funny how God uses the very people who are shamed and looked down upon by those who hold great power with greed and arrogance. Time and time again throughout God's story, those viewed as insignificant and less than are actually the ones God uses to overturn systems of injustice. In this case, it was two women, two midwives and a Hebrew baby boy. So how did Shipra and Pua know that their choice to cause good trouble was actually of God? I mean, they were going against the rule of law, the government which held power over them. How could they know for sure that this was the next right thing? If we go back and we look at the passage again, we see the words respect. The women respected God. In verse 7, we're told, now the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. And then again in verse 20, so God treated the midwives well, and people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of their own. The word respect, used so prominently to describe how these women felt about God, is often translated as feared, meaning to revere God, give reverence to. These women treated their one and only God as their Lord. Today, we as Christians understand this Lordship through relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It is through this kind of respect, reverence for our God that we are drawn deeper into loving relationship with our creator, redeemer, sustainer, the triune God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, that's who we answer to. So what does this mean for us today? It means that as we seek to go deeper in our personal relationship with Christ, when we treat Jesus as the Lord of our lives, we are better able to discern the next right thing in the heat of the moment. It's kind of like a friendship or marriage. After building a relationship and getting to know someone over the years, you start to really know them. It's like the difference between the very first present you give or receive from someone and the one you get years later after you really know each other. Here's an example. Our very first Valentine's Day together, my husband presented me with the most beautiful box. This large box that I carefully opened with anticipation and I pulled out a magnifying mirror that when plugged in lights up. I was confused to say the least, but he was so excited. He said, remember when you told me that every time you go to a hotel that has a really good magnifying mirror, you spend all this time tweezing your eyebrows? Now you have your own mirror. What? Okay, thank you, that's really sweet. But not what I would have chosen for Valentine's Day, not what I would have wanted for him to choose for me. Years later, after living together day in and day out, listening and learning from one another, he now knows I want concert tickets, experiences, books. I don't want anything that plugs into the wall. That took time to learn. Relationships take effort. And the more deeply connected we are to one another, the better we know what the other person wants and needs from us. Same thing with God. In John 15, Jesus compares himself to a vine and us to the branches. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you will be like a branch that's thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit. And in this way, prove that you are my disciples. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. See, when we remain in God, when we abide with God, spend time with God, stay connected to God, like a branch on a vine, we are able to in turn love like God. Love. Love is what it all comes back to. That's the greatest command for us, to love one another. Shipra and Pua chose love. They knew that what Pharaoh was demanding of them was not of love. It would cause harm. And so it couldn't be of God. And if it wasn't of God, it wasn't the next right thing. They knew that separated from God, they were powerless. But through God, look what was possible. So many times we get caught up in deciding right from wrong in very literal and black and white interpretations of things. 
happening around us. We even do it with scripture. And yet when tested against the law of love, the rule to do no harm, it's not so hard to figure out the next right thing. Is it loving? Will it do harm? These are the questions we need to ask because love is of God and harm is not. This week, as I listened to my Connect group talk about the stresses we're facing in the middle of this crazy pandemic life we're living, we were talking about our frustrations that not everyone is willing to wear a mask in public to protect others. And one group member talked about standing in line in a local business where each person was socially distancing, everybody was wearing a mask when a well-dressed gentleman walked in without a mask. So she scooted over to keep her distance, but then her mind began to turn thoughts over and over again. What should I do? What's the next right thing? Should I call him out on it? Should I ask him to wear a mask? Will that cause more harm than good? Is he gonna throw a fit? Does he not see the harm he's causing though? She said after the fact, as she reflected back, and she prayed that she came to the realization that from that moment on, she would carry extra masks in her purse. And next time something like this happened, she'd simply reach a hand out with a new mask and say, hey, do you need a mask? I notice you're not wearing one. You guys, there's always a way forward in love. God will never ask your next step to be something that causes harm. But like Shipra and Pua, God might just call you to cause a little good trouble. If you remain in Christ like a branch on a vine, you will be ready for the next right thing. As we allow our relationship with Christ to grow through time spent in God's word, through study with a connect group or a Zoom group, time in prayer, simply listening, we'll be able to recognize the voice of God, that still small voice telling us, nudging us to the next right thing. As Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Friends, I challenge you to go deeper this week. Allow your mind to be renewed in Christ. Remain in him as he remains in you and maybe get yourself into some good trouble. Amen.